Love this podcast? Support this show through the Acast supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give, and there's no regular commitment. Just click the link in the show description to support now. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more, with Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style. everyone. Welcome to the Thrive Neurosport podcast series. I'm your host, Katie Mitchell. I'm a PhD candidate, a registered physiotherapist, and certified athletic therapist. And on this podcast, we're discussing the latest research in concussion education, management, and rehabilitation to thrive on in sport and life. I'm really excited for episode five today with Dr. Shannon Bauman. Shannon Bauman is the medical director of Concussion North in Barrie, Ontario. Dr. Bauman graduated from the medical school at McMaster University and completed a specialty in family medicine from Queen's University and a fellowship in sport and exercise medicine at McMaster University. Dr. Bauman has hospital privileges with the Royal Victoria Hospital in Barrie, Ontario, and is on faculty with the University of Toronto Department of Family Medicine. Dr. Bauman has been caring for athletes of all levels for the past 15 years, from recreational to professional and national level competitors. She was a team physician for the World Cup Sledge Hockey, a World Cup of Sledge Hockey in 2009, the 2010 Vancouver Olympics men's sledge hockey team, and Team Canada Senior Women's Lacrosse World Cup. Dr. Bauman is, uh, as I mentioned, the medical director and founder of Concussion North, a physician-led interdisciplinary team-based clinic specializing in sports injuries and sports-related concussions in Barrie, Ontario. She is an expert advisor to Parachute Canada and to the Ontario Neurotrauma Foundation, ABI, and Provincial Standards Committees. Dr. Bauman has co-authored the Canadian Guidelines on Concussion in Sport and has developed sport-specific protocols for our Canadian national sport organizations through Parachute Canada. She's also co-authored Ontario Neurotrauma Guidelines for Pediatric, Adult with Persistent Symptoms and Provincial Standards for Concussions. Dr. Bauman has presented research on sex differences and persistent symptoms in sport-related concussions in Berlin, Germany, Split, Croatia, Washington, D.C., Victoria, BC, and Toronto, Ontario. Her work has been featured in Health Magazine, NY Magazine, Sports Illustrated, on CBC News, and published in internationally recognized journals. Well, that is quite the background that you have, Shannon. Uh, As I said, I'm really excited to have you on. 
Um, we've had many discussions over the past few years about concussion care and uh, how your philosophy around that. Um, so what I think we'd like to uh, start with um, is just kind of introducing yourself uh, and kind of how you got into um, your niche in concussion care as a sport medicine physician. Thank you so much, Katie, for having me, and thank you, Nick, as well. Um, I was so excited to do this today, so thank you very much for inviting me. Um, as you mentioned, Katie, I've been a sports medicine doc for about 15 years, so my love of sport um, as an athlete really made sports medicine a great fit for me. I've been involved in sports since I was little. Anything you could play, I would play it. So my love of sport was kind of what drove me to go into sports medicine. So as a sports med doc, you see so many injuries and different things. And from concussion being one aspect of sports injuries, we would see. Now, I wouldn't say my practice had a majority of concussions, but it was something either on the sidelines or with athletes presenting into the clinic. Um, what I always thought with concussions at that time, and this is taking me back about eight years ago, was a lot of acute sideline management. What do you do when someone on the field or an athlete comes in with an acute concussion? That's where our concussion guidelines historically did well. They gave us a framework of, at that time, once someone is symptom-free, start gradually, step-by-step, step, reintroducing them to sport. And that's historically where we were about eight years ago. <laughs> and a lot of that came from our consensus guidelines and um, ones coming out of Vienna, some of the ones that predate where we're at now. So that was kind of how we managed concussions. The challenge with that was what happens when we're not managing an acute concussion, when that athlete is beyond kind of that seven to 10 days. We didn't really have a lot of guidelines to direct us on what to do next. And as a clinician, I'll be really honest, that's kind of where I started to feel that I didn't have the tools on how to manage these athletes coming in to see me. They would come in, I would look at kind of the guidelines we had on how to manage, but they were continuing to have ongoing headaches, they didn't feel well, they were dizzy, they were struggling with getting back to school or work. They weren't really fitting our guidelines we had. So I really felt that I didn't have the tools to manage these patients except for to listen. So primarily I would listen, I'd listen to the symptoms they were having, but I didn't feel like I had the best tools to help them move forward and how to manage them. And to be honest, as a clinician, I felt a bit overwhelmed when one of the persistent concussion patients came into my door, just a little bit helpless. So that's kind of where I was about six to eight years ago with concussion. All of a sudden, I would say abruptly, concussions changed for me when I was playing hockey myself, had a mid-ice collision with one of the guys on the ice I was playing with. All of a sudden, for the first time in my life, I had firsthand experienced a concussion. I had gone from being the sports med doc to now being the athlete with a concussion. Initially, I had the symptoms like other people experience. I was a bit confused on the ice. I started getting more and more confused. I started to try to make my way off the ice. I felt completely out of it. I couldn't figure out how to take off my hockey equipment. I started getting really dizzy. 
I didn't feel I was well enough to drive myself home. So I asked another teammate if they could drive me home. I was initially very sensitive to noise in my house, just small things that were going on. But like other people, I thought, you know what? I'll be better tomorrow. I work tomorrow. I'm sure I'm going to feel just fine. I'm going to wake up. I'm going to feel well. Well, I tried to go to work the next day, and I'll tell you my vision was blurry. I couldn't even figure out how to fill out an x-ray form for a patient. I was holding myself up in the doorway of my exam room, (laughs) feeling worse than my patients were that day, and I had to call a taxi to get a ride home. So what I thought would be a day ended up being weeks, ended up being months, and ended up in completion being two full years that I was experiencing ongoing persistent symptoms and had to leave my medical practice. So concussion really changed for me, as I said, going from being now the person with persistent symptoms and the person experiencing the symptoms of ongoing migraine, ongoing dizziness and vestibular issues, feeling like I could barely walk to my mailbox without overheating and feel like my heart was racing, my balance was off, I had had difficulty sleeping, I was waking up early in the morning, that 3 a.m. wake up that I often talk to patients about, couldn't fall back asleep, just really struggling, but thinking, Shannon, you know as well as anyone, it's just time, you're going to keep getting better, and every very well-meaning doctor I saw would say the same to me. Shannon, you know as well as anyone, it's just time, you're going to keep getting better, and every day I hoped, I'll wake up today, and today's going to be the magic day. Today I'm going to feel better, and I really believe when is this magic day going to come around? So I don't think I was too unlike some of the patients that I had been seeing, that I had felt a bit helpless in how to treat. I didn't know how to treat some of the patients' symptoms they were having. Our tools we had had didn't give me the means to do that. So what I started doing during my own recovery was saying, you know what, I need to figure this out. I need to figure out how to develop an approach to treat this because just giving it time, I'd given it at that point about a year and a half and things weren't magically bouncing back. So I figured there had to be another way to treat this. I really needed to take some advocacy for myself and say, let's try some different things. Let's put some things in place, start moving forward, figure out how to do this. So I really spent probably the last six months while I was recovering, trying every treatment out there, trying various things that I could, calling different physicians from all over the United States and Canada, trying to figure out from other clinicians outside of my specialty, what were physiotherapists doing? What were they doing with acupuncture? What was vestibular therapy? What could be done with vision? Some of the different approaches that I hadn't currently been recommended, I thought, you know what, I need to explore a bit more of what treatments are out there and what works. So I kind of put myself in motion to become uh, really the guinea pig for all different things to find out what works and how it's done and what it does. So that was kind of my last six months of my treatment. And for myself, one of the biggest aspects of my recovery was trying to get my migraines treated which involved a combination of some work with my neck. Vision was a primary issue for me that hadn't been addressed. I had some pretty significant visual dysfunction 
once I started connecting with the right person for vision, it really turned things around for me. But coupled with that vision was the migraines, some of the vestibular and some of the neck. When I kind of started treating those at the time, I didn't know, but that cluster of symptoms together, it really was what started putting my recovery in motion. So while I had been making slow recovery over the two years, it was really that last six months when I started trying a more active approach with different multidisciplinary providers that really started kickstarting my recovery. I was able to go back to work at two years and many patients often ask me, you know, are you a hundred percent? Do you feel like you've fully recovered? And I would say, while it took a really long time to recover, I do feel that I not only made a full recovery, but I was actually doing even more after my recovery than I was before. So I feel my professional direction really went in a newfound way with saying the experience I had being a patient with concussion coupled with my background as a sports medicine physician really puts me in a position to say, what am I going to do moving forward? I had a new lease on life because I had just taken two years off my practice. I kind of had a restart <laughs> to say, what do I want to do and what direction do I see myself going? So I really felt that creating a concussion clinic, establishing a core network of providers of all different disciplines that I felt were needed for concussion and to establish that under one roof with a physician who understood concussions was really the nidus for what I developed as Concussion North. I felt that I really needed to be able to take my experience and join the different interdisciplinary members that were so critical to recovery and create an active treatment team where a patient could come to our clinic and know that they would have all of these resources under one roof. And that was what I established, it's been now six years ago, we established Concussion North in Barrie, Ontario. And to date has saw over 5,000 concussion patients from all over an eight to 10 hour radius from Ontario, out of province, even patients from North America, different athletes sent to us to see to manage concussions. So I became, me and my team kind of became the ones that helped manage the most persistent cases, the most prolonged cases that weren't getting better with other approaches, we were getting referred. So really managing multidisciplinary approach to really complex concussion became what we were known for at Concussion North, as well as the management of the more acute athletes that had sports-related injuries, especially sports-related concussion. Um, were things that, uh, that we did at our clinic. Yeah, that's, that's amazing. That's, you have such a unique perspective on this because of your personal experience mixed, like you said, with your, um, kind of your practice and bringing those things together. So you had, you know, from even well before a lot of the research really established the findings for what active recovery meant and things like that, you were already kind of feeling that and going going forward with it and trying it out in your practice which was really innovative and uh, like just shows the initiative that you had like you reached out and you connected and networked and really got the perspectives from from several other clinicians which I think in some cases we do work in our own silos and that can limit you so much to what's possible and and being able to get all the opinions of other people and what they've seen because we know that all concussions are unique and not everyone's going to have the same cluster of symptoms but 
in a lot of ways, the same similar sort of approaches will have an effect as long as it's tailored into what each person experiences. Um, and so your perspective on kind of this collaborative care and having everything under one roof and really having it centered around the patient um, was something that you you kind of did like almost like the first, <laughs> I think of, and especially in, in Canada, even, I don't know how many other practices were really doing that um, type of a type of approach to things. And, and uh, so I think that's really amazing that you're able to take that and also be able to connect with patients in a way that not a lot of clinicians can when you actually have your own experience of feeling the way they do and being able to provide them with that reassurance. Um, so uh, I know that you like not just are a huge advocate for patient-centered care, but you have worked on several projects and all the different guidelines that we spoke of in your bio of con contributions and um, advising to those guidelines. So you're obviously making waves outside of just Barry and like you said, even the radius of what your clinic saw, um, but even at the provincial and national and international levels of where you've uh, presented your work and um You've recently published uh, on the concussion passport that you developed. So why don't you speak to kind of how that came about, um, that idea, and then building it and sort of how it worked in your practice? Okay, great. Thank you. Um, yeah, our the idea, this is our, uh, briefly, this is our concussion passport. This is our first model of what we developed called the Concussion North Treatment Passport. The idea for this came a little bit from uh, my own experience, but also modeled after what we were doing at Concussion North. So the idea that I wanted to do was to put Concussion North in the hands of patients that couldn't travel to our clinic or were going to be seeing um, clinicians in their own community. It was really designed as a way to empower patients and improve communication about what is active treatment and what is this about. So. What we did in the treatment passport was really try to make sure we could provide a visual, which was the passport itself, and take patients on a journey towards their recovery. So the idea of a passport, my, uh, my daughter Addison, she's 13, she said to me, she goes, why did you call it the passport? I said, well, twofold. One, it's a booklet form, so kind of like a passport, but two, it takes patients on various journeys. This is one that has the, I don't know if you can see it, but it's the vestibular journey. Kind of. Yeah, so there's a bit of a roadmap yeah. there. Of like, You're on a roadmap. Yeah. Exactly. Stage one, two, and kind of progressing, progressing yeah, through. Patients going on a journey where there's an overview of all their journeys, a return to learn, return to earn, a physical journey with uh, exercise and sport, a vestibular journey, a vision journey, and then clearance steps towards recovery, what we might see as kind of more of a medical checklist of what would be needed for a safe recovery and clearance. So what I wanted to do was have patients kind of walk through the whole experience through our clinic, but not just for us to tell them why I needed you based on what features you had to see one of the athletic therapists or physiotherapists in our clinic, but actually what they were going to be doing for you and also where you were in that recovery. Um, so when someone comes in and first sees me as a physician, we would make our diagnosis, is this concussion? We would talk a bit and educate around that, but we'd also identify what different features that person has. 
Are there areas related to their neck that are causing them some of the symptoms? Is it related to some vision um, abnormalities we picked up on physical exam? Is there areas where we've identified sleep as one of those target features? Is it that they can't handle exercise and their heart rate's going up? Are there aspects of anxiety and depression? Are there cognitive aspects, some of the fogginess and difficulty multitasking and feeling slowed down or fatigued more than they should? So these are all areas from my point of what I would do as a physician. And in our passport, we kind of make a picture where we would identify those for the patient. Then based on what features they had, we were going to make an active recovery plan. So often I would say, okay, we have some things going on with your neck. I really recommend that we see the physiotherapist and work through that. Or we're going to work through some of your return to learn and some of your aspects of exercise. I'm going to have you see our athletic therapist. I'm going to work with you medically on some of the areas of sleep. Or we may make a referral to have you see someone for vision. So all of this to a patient who comes into clinic for a first assessment can be very overwhelming. They may only remember a few of these, but what I really wanted the passport to be was kind of a way to um, reinforce our plan, but to be able to sit down with them and work on a plan together where they're part of the process. They feel that we're on a journey together. I'm guiding them, but it's their journey. So the idea was to empower the patient through the experience, but also to help them understand what each person on the interdisciplinary team is doing to help them in their recovery. If patients have a more understanding of what recovery is, they're more likely to adhere to some of the treatments and get more involved because they understand how that's going to help them improve. So I find the experience of concussion, both medically and treatment, can be very overwhelming for patients, and they can often feel lost in recovery after a while. Where am I? Am I almost recovered? Am I just starting this process? So the idea of the passport also helped them move along the journey where they could see where they were in recovery, because I felt that was one of the hardest things for me. And I hear from other patients, it's just, when am I going to get better? And when they've been at this for a while, the idea is, I don't know if I'm seeing progress or why am I not making progress? So we'd often go back to the passport and kind of say, okay, we're getting hung up at this part of our journey. What can we do now as a team to help that person get to the next step? So the idea of the passport was really to empower the patient to improve communication with our team and the patient, but also to improve communication within the team. So the idea of I'm improving communication with the physiotherapists, the communication between me and the neurooptometrist, because we may not all be under one roof. So we need to have a way to communicate to best support the patient and also that we're all on the same page. Recovery is best when it's coordinated. And while ideal, if it's under one roof, that's not going to happen where most people are seeking their care. They may be in a community where they have different providers that are not under one roof, but we need communication to happen. With respecting patient confidentiality, it's very difficult to share records between different clinics. 
So if we start with the patient and the patient's the most important means to communicate, a document that helps support the patient can be shared through the patient with the different providers on their team. So that was really the idea behind the passport was we developed it with the input from Julie McDonald, who's our athletic therapist at Concussion North. She's done tremendous work with the return to learn and return to exercise. And so Julie gave a lot of input into that, but also with the background of using the guidelines we have to support those steps. We have two physiotherapists with vestibular expertise who help develop the vestibular steps. Dr. Aaron Haney, a neurooptometrist, helped us with the vision journey and what those steps look like. I helped oversee the medical development of the tool. So using all of our expertise we had at Concussion North, we put this together with some designers and creative people to make it patient-friendly and developed the treatment passport. The second part of that, though, is does this work? Does the passport really help improve communication? Does it help improve the patient's understanding of their journey? Does it help improve adherence to the treatment program? So we ended up doing a study where we had um, REB approval through Royal Victoria Hospital. And we had a group of control patients, which were the patients without the passport, just our verbal communication of what our treatment plan was going to be. Then we had a group where we gave each one, they were randomized to receive the passport. And then they were using that throughout their appointments. Nothing else was changed. The only difference was the addition of the passport. At four weeks of treatment, we ended up administering a survey to see how each aspect of the journey was communicated and to evaluate their understanding of treatment in our program. And what we found was a 2.1 to 2.8 fold greater understanding of the cognitive journey, the physical journey, and the vestibular aspects in their care. So overall, the, the concussion passport did significantly increase the understanding of how an interdisciplinary team works together in concussion compared to our control group when we were under one roof. So to be able to say that this does improve communication, we really validated the tool. What we did was then the patients who did not receive the concussion passport, we allowed a crossover where we provided each with a passport and said, if you would have received this, would this have helped your understanding of communication. And 86.7% said overwhelmingly yes. Having the addition of the passport to have a visual overview of what was going on improved their concussion journey and recovery. So the idea of this tool is really to facilitate that delivery of more of a standardized but individualized concussion treatment program and improving their understanding of concussion care and communication within their team. So this was published in November in the Journal of Concussion, November 2019. Yeah, we'll, uh, we'll include that in our show notes for the, the link to that paper because it's open source with, I think, the Journal of Concussion, correct? Yeah. Yeah, it's under uh, SAGE. Yeah. Yeah. Um, no, that's fantastic. Um, yeah, we provided open access so everyone can read it and have full yeah. access. 
that is one of the struggles with research is sometimes you can't always access the full paper, but that's great. We'll definitely share that. Um, I think it's really great uh, in sort of like in your passport there, you, you mentioned all those domains, but they're all on the same page kind of in parallel to each other. And we've talked about this before. Um, you know, if I think the visual becomes really uh, effective when the patient can see why they're maybe being held, like why they're not improving in certain areas because other areas are not quite as far along. So mm-hmm. if, for example, their vestibular um, symptoms are still persisting and, you know, they're but like, you know, they're, they feel like they could do exercise, but when they try, they get dizzy or there's some symptoms there. And so they can't really progress with their exercise or training based on vestibular symptoms um, or perhaps it's their neck that's holding them back from that. So being able to understand why, Um, and that each of those domains aren't kind of, you know, like individually by themselves, kind of mutually exclusive. They are very like kind of interwoven together, um, and that they have to uh, progress together. So you, you can't really, you know, if there's a roadblock somewhere, you're not going to improve other areas until you address that. So it helps prioritize the care plan too, because the initial symptoms, you could resolve those, but then now you move on to the next part of that journey and realize, okay, now we need to work on this part. It wasn't our primary focus at the beginning, but now we can't move for, forward until this is addressed. Um, and I think that really makes sense to the patient because, you know, it is so complex that, yes, it makes sense to us. They've been treating some of these cases for a long time, but for them, it's their potentially their first case. <laughs> mm-hmm. um, and it's just, it is overwhelming. And when you give them this big spiel, it can be really hard to just kind of um, just with auditory learning, hard to hard to remember all those things. So when they have it to refer back to, um, is is hugely uh, effective. And I think too, as you mentioned, like you know, the clinic that you established was so unique in itself that you know practitioners like myself, who are more solo practitioners that kind of have a, a network in the area that they work in. Um, you know, the patient can take that passport. And that's sort of what I think of the passport is it kind of is a checkpoint at each of these other places to be able to kind of keep all those clinicians and practitioners up to speed with what is going on in other areas that may not be their expertise. Um, And so that I think is hugely important, um, as you said, to kind of surround that around the patient and, and make them active, not just in their concussion recovery, but active in the actual process of it. Um, so that's that's really interesting. Um, and the fact that it is effective uh, clearly is, uh, you know, reinforcing it, that it's not just some, you know, a tool that worked kind of anecdotally in your clinic, but you do have the data to support that. Mm-hmm. Um, and so what are the, uh, like, I guess, with that passport, like, what is your next step with that moving forward? Yeah. Um, so right now we're kind of reaching some of the end of our research and development on creating an electronic based passport. Some of the visual of having the booklet form is great to use in clinic and at the bench side. The challenge with um, that is a lot of people like to have something electronically that they could bring along to different providers' offices, it won't get wet, <laughs> it won't uh, have, uh, could get lost. So the idea was to create something that patients could have at their fingertips um, in an app. So we created a web-based app through a grant from Georgian College, and together we worked to develop a web-based version of the Passport, which also allowed us some unique features of adding in kind of some some other things that uh, 
through some of the other work I've been doing um, with adding in some more sports-specific journeys. So, for example, if someone played hockey, instead of more of a what we could do with one page of hockey return to play steps, we could create a bit more electronically of some specific hockey return to play steps or lacrosse or cheerleading. So we had the ability electronically to do a little bit more customization um, of some of the pages on our passport. So we developed a app and we started using it in clinic. Again, I'd like to thank Julie McDonald, who was really instrumental in taking the time during appointments to be able to get the patients logged in to the app and get them started on the electronic version. So our plan was to to start as a trial with our patients in Concussion North and see how the web-based version was working. Um, So we've completed that and excited to say the patients really, especially um, our younger patients, really liked having that and having a backup of the paper copy that we could use at during appointments as well. But the ease of updating it, the ease of being able to have it on the screen where the athlete could show their teacher, they could show their coach, they could show different clinicians, and they have a read-only version, so they can't make changes to it. But with confidentiality, again, they're in control of their information, so they can show it to who they would like to show it to, and as the clinician side, we can log in during appointments together with them and update the different steps they've achieved on their journeys. So we're really looking for the next step with the passport is saying, now that we've been able to establish and validate our tool with research, but then also use technology to develop a web-based in-clinic and show that this was able to work, I would love to be able to have other clinics start trialing it and using it when in their settings, because that's really why this was created, to be able to use in different communities with different universities, different colleges, different sports teams, and put it in the hands of the, the patient and start to use it in their own communities with their own interdisciplinary teams. So that's the yeah. next step in our research and development. Yeah, and I think, uh, like, as you mentioned in the very beginning, there's so much attention that was put on the acute management of, like, kind of the bench side stuff um, of just recognition and diagnosis rather than there isn't been a lot of, this is probably the first real, um, you know, concrete guideline of of not so much just, you know, step by step exactly what to do, but a, a guide and a framework rather than, you know, um, I always, I'm not a huge fan of having a checklist of, you know, each patient should accomplish X, Y, and Z because not every patient's going to do that and they're not going to have the right criteria for that and their context may be different. So having that framework to just sort of like go along that journey and as you said, keep it kind of the patients in the driver's seat essentially of all their information, who they want to share it with um, and who they're going to include in their care plan, not so much just even the fact that like, especially with the web-based version that you can, you can kind of put those sort of security settings on of, uh, you know, how it's going to be shared. Um, not just that you're going to share it with someone, but you can have them edit it or you can have them just keep it as a read only. Um, so I think that's, that's something that is definitely, there's a huge need and, and demand for that, I think, because 
there is no harmonized way to look at the prolonged um, cases and the management of those longer term uh, uh, patients. So the problem is, is like there's a lot of different, um, let's say, just platforms teaching different things. And, you know, there's a lot of different people sharing different um, resources. But yet it's still like there's no real framework there um, that's harmonized across even Canada or just provinces. And, you know, even as people maybe move and they want to be able to take, you know, their information and take it to another province or another country, like that's, that's huge to be able to have that, all that in, you know, their cell phone and just be able to share some information like that. So I think it's something that even with all the different platforms out there, it could help harmonize a lot of the care and just, again, keeping it patient-centered, collaborative, um, without really being too concrete that it is very flexible for each person, their context, um, and the demands that they need to meet. Because I know you've said this in the past, you know, if you've got a, a gymnast or, or, you know, versus a hockey player, you can't do the exact same return to sport. It's, you know, if they need to be inverted or on a trampoline, you got to put them out there versus, you know, doing just a standard one, one-off exercise test. Um, and so that stuff really needs to have that flexibility to be able to be creative with that stage of recovery. Um, but I think this is something that is is going to be uh, a really interesting, like moving ahead in the future for clinicians to be able to utilize. I, I think the passport is kind of the first of its kind. And I'm, again, really excited about it. It really had the interdisciplinary collaboration in creating it as well as kind of some of the medical oversight. So we wanted to take the guidelines and take some of the established um, different treatments that we know are evidence-based, whether it's vestibular or some of the autonomic journeys or some of the different guidelines we've been given for return to learn, return to work, return to sport. But from a patient perspective, they just need to know the direction and know that this is evidence-based behind it. And you're right, Katie, it's not going to be cookie cutter. There's going to be an over overview process that they will go through the steps, but each step has to have a framework, but it has to be customizable and individualized as well. So I think what we did was really want to make sure it was evidence-based behind what we put into the passport, but allowed for that clinic, clinician, uh, patient journey to have individualization. But we also wanted to make sure that people were hitting a certain standard as well. So if someone is managing a concussion, it could be in the acute stages, um, and they maybe didn't think about vestibular or they didn't think about vision, and the patient at least you could check it off to say, yep, that system's okay. That system's okay. We don't need to go on a journey to recover those. Even in the acute phase, we wanted the passport to work. So for some of your more acute student athletes that may be better in seven days, we want to make sure they were going through the process to return to school. Different aspects were looked at during their physical exam to make sure that those journeys you could either say, no, you know what, these aren't applicable to you. These all these systems seem okay. But if a clinician didn't know to look for that, they may not look for that. So I think the idea of the passport was it can work in the acute return to school, return to sport side for our student athletes. 
but it can also work in our persistent cases where people may spend more time on certain journeys that are laid out through the passport. And it kind of has that dual ability, which I'm really excited about. And I think a lot of apps I've started to see are more symptom trackers and may follow symptoms. But how this is different is it really takes a evidence-based standardized treatment approach and it lays it out there, but then it takes patients through a treatment recovery journey towards medical clearance, towards back to learn, back to earn, back to exercise, back to sport, but it allows for um, that to be achieved together with the patient. So I think it's a very unique novel tool that we developed and I haven't seen anything like that out there. So I'm excited to say I really do believe we're the first to develop this and uh, hope we can continue in um, that kind of last phases of our research and development to being able to put this in the hands of clinicians and colleges and universities and individual patients who need a tool to help direct their care and help create their team around them. So it really is meant to empower the patient and whether that's done directly to the patient to put the tool in their hands or done through a clinic who has an established patient that they're going to use it with in their caseload or to give to a school or a university or a sports organization to be able to have when someone has a concussion and introduce it preseason and they could pick their passport up and that could help direct their care. It really is done in a way to say, how do I take my experience and help empower patients to each get better on their own recoveries? Yeah, for sure. And I think when I think of some platforms that use stuff like checklists or something, like it can be very superficial. And, and in the sense that this tool is different in the way that it has like the breadth of the more like complex journey beneath it, because yeah, there's going to be some cases that are more simple that you are going to just kind of check those boxes and those tests are going to be all fine. And perhaps that maybe it's something like out of the clinician scope of practice where then they refer to a vestibular therapist or something that maybe they wouldn't have even thought to check that. So that is true that you need to have kind of those um, sort of that guideline there to be able to, uh, you know, dot your I's and cross your T's. Um, and but in the sense that in those complex cases, you do have that more um, detailed journey for each, um, you know, you can really see, but on each page, you have like, not just those, not just all those domains together, but there are individual sections for each domain that takes through a much more detailed journey. Um, that is a little more in depth than kind of that sort of more, mm. you know, five step plan to cure your concussion style thing. So um I think that's where it is really unique in that sense that it does cover the entire process and not, it doesn't sort of, it, it makes it simple for the patient in the sense that's the interface you're sharing it with. Um, but in the sense too, that it helps guide the clinician and whether they're more of a novice clinician and that they do need extra referrals um, perhaps for that patient. And maybe it's outside of what they're comfortable with um, because there are certain cases that definitely are unique and they share, you know, some more novel symptoms that maybe aren't characterized in the literature. So um, that's the thing where you're not really missing out on any part of that, um, you know, the whole uh, clinical uh, picture, I guess, of, of the patient. So it is really extensive um, when it comes to 
really clearing everything that you need to to clear and not leaving anything um, undone. So uh, what's really like cool about all of this, including this passport, is that you've collected a lot of data in your practice. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think that's something that more clinicians and practitioners could be be doing is actually quantifying their results and seeing over time what their what their um, processes and techniques are actually accomplishing, like what's really happening. Um, and what the, you know, even just the subjective data that you're collecting and the differences that you see between patients in different subgroups within those groups. So I know you've been doing research in other areas than the passport as well. Um, and as we mentioned, you, you've definitely presented uh, the findings of that research all over the world. So um, some of the work you did with sex-related uh, differences and persistent symptoms um, if you'd like to speak a little bit to that and kind of the direction of where you're going, because uh, I know you have a large bank of data, so uh, that'd be really interesting to touch on as well. Yeah, well, I think what kind of guided uh, the first day I created uh, Concussion North, we established an electronic medical records, which allowed us to collect uh, data on different patient um, details, different demographics, but also different features of their concussion different treatments that were done, um, dates between when they first presented with concussion, when they came to clinic, how long it took before they were fully medically cleared in our clinic. So we had a lot of information um, that we started establishing from day one. And that really allowed us to be able to look back and ask clinical questions that we could give a bit more information from, from our data. So a lot of our my questions as a clinician kind of guide some of the things I want to know about. The biggest question I get when a patient is sitting down in front of me is usually, how long do you think it's going to take before I'm back at work? How long do you think it's going to take before I recover? And while none of us have a magic crystal ball, I would love to have one of those and say, you know what, I have this crystal ball and I can tell you exactly when you're going to recover what I wanted to be able to do was to take the experience of all the patients we had treated and I could say in our clinic based on how long you've had the symptoms or based on different aspects of their concussion, I can talk to them about some recovery timelines and I can say, you know, under our clinic, certain percentage of people will be better in four weeks with an active approach that we do in clinic. And we're gonna, you know, help you determine what treatments you're gonna need. But I have the ability from some of the data, not just to guess, but to give them a little bit of direction. So what I really wanted to do in my research was look at recovery times. What is it about someone that takes longer for them to get better than someone else? Is it the difference between males and females? Is it the difference in one has vision issues or vestibular, or is a difference between different clusters that people have? Is it delays in accessing care? Meaning, did they get a concussion and they weren't able to get referred to specialty care and it took six months for that referral to happen? So a lot of my research that I've done has been looking at differences in gender and their experience and recovery times and concussion. That's also looking at delays in accessing specialty care. And that's one of my interests as well, looking at our clinic and looking at our community. 
um, and saying, why are people having delays? And does a delay change their outcome? So, yeah, um, some of these areas are things I have some current research on and working on. I'm pretty excited that uh, we do have a pretty robust database that we've just been continu continuing some of our research on gender, gender differences in recovery time. So I've been able to present at different stages of our recovery. First, we had 180 patients I presented in Washington, D.C., then I had about 242 that I presented um, in Berlin, and now we're at 750 patients of looking at the differences between males and females, recovery times, features of concussion, and how all of those factors go into looking at rates of recovery. So yeah, stay tuned. I'm uh, looking forward to presenting that in Paris at the next World Consensus coming up, I believe, next fall. Yeah, that's incredible. I think, too, that just speaks volumes to the like investment that you have in your practice as well as like collecting all that data and your interest in actually wanting to analyze all that and see kind of the trends and, you know, the the different differences, well, the differences between all these subgroups that you have, um, because there is that range from the athlete, even the levels of an athlete to the regular pop general population. So um, not a lot of people would take the time to um, commit and actually look at all of that and extract all that data and put it together. So that just it really is unique in the sense of like you created this incredible practice in first place, but then you actually you, you wanted to see if this, like, is this really working or what is, what does our trends look like? How is this looking for our patient care model um, to really be just sort of this uh, leader in that area of care and providing that for other practitioners to be like, maybe we should be looking at this as well. Um, mm -hmm. Because we're not really taught to do that. And, and really any, uh, maybe more on the medical side, but I, I don't think a lot of the allied health professions are taught to really track you know, that data and look at those trends and see those differences. And I don't think I really learned a lot, a lot about that until exploring um, academic research myself. But um, it's something I think that more people should be doing to be able to present at conferences and do those things because it, it creates different facets of what you can actually provide of providing the clinical community, this rich database of, you know, being able to guide future um, practice and um, care guidelines. So uh, not only are you kind of, you know, an expert advisor, but you're actually developing all of these, uh, all the research to actually help fuel those changes. So um, yeah, thank you so much for doing that. I think that's amazing. Uh, it's it just, uh, right. There's a lot of clinicians that don't do research and there's a lot of researchers who don't have that clinical side. So I think the blending of some of us in the field and we need more of us, but the clinician scientists to really help use data to drive decision-making and empower the changes that, that are happening in concussion care. And I think supporting the research side is so important and research, not just in the academic strong institutions. I think when you look at the patients, I mean, our clinic in Barrie, Ontario is really a community tertiary clinic and being in a community that's where a lot of our patients live and we need research to come from communities and it's a lot more difficult doing research when you're in a community um, without some of the institutional support so 
I really think we need a strong push for continuing to get clinicians and community data into some of the research we're doing to help drive the change. And as I said at the very beginning, when I started doing this and thinking about concussions eight years ago, the curve of where we've come from when I started seeing concussions and where we're at now, I really think that care has changed a lot and we've come a long way. And I think now the next phase is really looking at treatment and looking at some of the aspects of recovery. And that's really interdisciplinary research is going to be needed in all these areas. And I think the initial research was diagnosis and initial ideas of some of the prevalence and incidences of concussion. And now I think the next step after, okay, we've identified concussion, we know how to diagnose, now what is the big next step? And now what is the treatment and how do we improve recovery? How do we improve management and how do we help facilitate quicker recoveries? Um, I think that that's the next area for, for research and some of the area that that my research has been asking those questions, but it's come from my own practice of, and my sense of wonder of, until that magic crystal ball is invented, how do I use some of my data and experience to kind of help answer some of those questions? And uh, otherwise I'll keep working on inventing a crystal ball. <laughs> yeah, no, I think if, we, if that, like something like that existed, you know, we would just be able to fix them much quickly, more quickly and be able to predict everything. But in any sense of any injury, that would be incredible just to have something like that. Um, but it is so true though. And a lot of the work that I'm focusing on as well is more towards interventions and, and care for more of the latter phases of recovery as well. When we're beyond the resolution of symptoms. And as you said, even your passport is kind of moves beyond just the symptom tracker and, is more based on the full recovery of, of, you know, full capacity rather than thinking of just symptoms and being symptom free as being recovery. Cause we know that doesn't necessarily, um, equate to physiological recovery. Um, but I think to the, as you mentioned, like the community demographic is, and I, I, I'm not sure, um, if this is true or not, you can correct me, but a lot more of the, you know, 30 plus kind of into even like 30 to 45. And I've talked to a couple people on this podcast already about investigating more into that group of a lot of the research is focused on adolescents and varsity level athletes and more in those kind of system, you know, they're in a university or an institution where they are all kind of on the same level. Uh, whereas I think the community is so much more, you know, a diverse group that you could capture a lot more about those older groups that have to, you know, return to earn and have more responsibilities with family and their context is more complicated. Um, and so I think uh, that would speak a lot more to the groups that I think we are under-researched um, and having that bit more of a breadth in our research. I think that's kind of the direction as well of looking at beyond sort of the young adult to adolescence uh, populations. Absolutely agree. 
Yeah, I think I think there's definitely a space for more data that is outside of kind of our NCAA or university level. And a lot of my work is like that too, but that's more of a convenience to be able to access those groups rather than the community groups are much more, I would say, harder to actually research. Well, um, uh, I, I look forward to like our data highlights between age 10 and 63. So the range yeah. of data that we have in our database, as you've kind of alluded to, is that diverse ages, diverse level of sport, recreation activities, concussions, kind of that have a sports and exercise component, but also allows for people that we would see in our community and those that are included in our database. So I, I do think uh, the strength of having that community research does allow for some of those other age groups to be studied and also um, in some in higher numbers that we've been able to put into into our database. So yeah, it's an exciting time for concussions and I think research and some of the support that needs to happen moving forward to continue some of the research in these other vulnerable populations. For sure. No, I'm looking forward. I'm excited to see because uh, even like just within your clinic, like the only other studies with huge data like that or, you know, your care consortium type studies or things that are like, you know, looking at like cross centers rather than you did it in all like pretty much one place, which is incredible. Um Just in getting towards the closing of this, uh, do you have any sort of like last words or recommendations for um, you know, clinicians who are working in concussion care, other physicians, um, and just sort of speaking to kind of, I guess, your perspective on moving forward with this and uh, how concussion care is going to evolve in the future. Well, that's a big question. Um, <laughs> I really think the biggest thing that I can say is concussions can be, you know, they can be more simple and straightforward, but they can also be complex and persistent. There's not one clinician that can manage a complex concussion on their own. It really isn't about one physician or one physiotherapist or one chiropractor. It's saying with the complexities that come along with concussion, you need a team of people who are passionate and dedicated to managing concussions. They're not easy to manage. It can be very, um, very involved and uh, it can be a challenging process for the patient and the clinician. So having that support of a interdisciplinary team that works together is going to help the patient in their recovery. Um, you know, there's so many hats to wear, but there's different times when you need to recognize you know, your own weaknesses as a clinician and your own strengths. And when you refer to other people and when you do refer, working together collaboratively is in the best interest of the patient. So how do we create webs of clinicians working together when people are not all under one roof? I think that's really the direction of establishing kind of an interdisciplinary web of people that can help. So when a patient does um, come to you, you have kind of a virtual kind of uh, ability to bring other clinicians in and other team members in and work collaboratively. So I really think moving forward, the collaboration is really in the best interest of the patient and not working in silos, but really coming together and supporting 
other interdisciplinary professionals in the field who all feel passionate about doing this. And together, I think we accomplish more than we can on our own. So I'm a really strong component for team and uh, working together with others. And I really think I've seen that at Concussion North when our team works together, the outcomes, um, the patient's experience and their um, is really streamlined and it's the patient experience. They often really think how we all came together as a team. It's not about one person. It really is a whole team of people working together to help that individual be on their best, uh, their best recovery. That's great. I a hundred percent agree with that. I've, I've only done my best work within a team. It's never been by myself. Um, so moving on to uh, how people can reach you or find you on like social media, like what are your, I guess, how, what are your handles, I guess, if someone wants to yeah. find you on like Twitter or Instagram or whatever you are using? Yeah, I usually have an at SBJockDoc on Twitter is one of the easiest ways to reach me and uh, otherwise at Concussion North we have and on uh, or otherwise, you can, um, that's usually the best way to reach me. My professional email is shannon at concussionnorth.com. So while I can't answer individual patient questions on that, um, if it's professional questions pertaining to the research or our passport or um, kind of that professional side of things, yeah, shannon at concussionnorth.com. Perfect. We'll include that in the show notes. And People can kind of follow along on Twitter and uh, see when you start uh, coming up with your results of your uh, recent work. So um, thank thank you so much again, Shannon, for uh, joining me for this. I think you have such a wealth of knowledge that uh, we only tapped into a small piece of it today. Uh, But I think you just have so many, uh, you know, things going on and just like just you're such a pioneer kind of in the concussion world that it's uh, really awesome to share your story. Thank you, Katie. And thank you, Nick. Thanks for the opportunity to do this. This is a lot of fun. That's awesome. Great. All right. In closing, thank you for listening to the Thrive Neurosport podcast series. You can find me on Instagram at Thrive Neurosport and learn more about clinical neurosport education or CNS ed on my website, thriveneurosport.ca. Until next time, keep thriving on friends. Concussion Talk podcast is presented by HeadCheck Health. HeadCheck Health bridges the gaps in concussion care through simple, powerful technology. Join organizations like the Canadian Football League, Track Factory Racing, the Canadian Junior Hockey League, Eastern Washington University, and Volleyball Canada, who rely on HeadCheck Health to improve communication and optimize care. Visit HeadCheckHealth.com for more. The music at the beginning of this podcast is by Ben Sound www.bensound.com Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. 
Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365 day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello, fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com pack for free shipping and 365-day returns.